The new construction, the boom is in destination golf. It's whether that's resort or whether that's private. Well, does golf become the next ski, this next skiing, right? Where you, you live in Houston and you go skiing for a week. Yeah. Or you, you know, and so, okay, now I'm going to go, like you said, destination golf. I'm, my vacation is going to be a week of golf. Okay. So it costs me five grand rather than 20 to 50 to join in a thousand a month. Right. I'm Roberto. And I'm Dan. On the Course Record Show, we talk about the business of golf. We discuss the trends, insights, and strategies defining the industry, now and into the future. Welcome back to the Course Record Show, episode 31. Episode 30 was part one of our real estate series. You're now here for part two. We went macro, now we're going anecdotal. We're going to look into why golf courses are closing. That's our thesis. Roberto, we're going to look at two courses today that you know pretty well. Tell us about them. What do they have in common? Yeah, Dan, we're going to talk about uh, Raveno Country Club, which is in a suburb of Houston. And then we're going to talk about Sherwood Forest um, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So they have in com- they're both private country clubs. And actually, that's really the focus of our conversation here today is not daily fee, not municipal. It's kind of that private country club model. And then why did they close? I mean, and what else did they have in common? I grew up playing at both of them. I lived in Houston for a bit, lived in Baton Rouge for a bit, had family at both. So both intertwined in my uh, my golf story and both are now shuttered. So a little trip down memory lane for you. That'll be yep. fun. Yep. Why are courses closing in general? What, 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 what opinions are you forming? Well, I did some research to go along with these conversations and I found a great article about the country club market. Again, specifically private clubs. It was by Andy Medici, in the Atlanta Business Chronicle or the broader Business Chronicles, you can go out and find it. But he really said it's three things. One, higher operating costs, driven by especially the cost of labor. Two, the need to update or renovate aging facilities. So it's just deferred CapEx. We talked about that some with Lincoln, right? You can kind of buy that big house and pay the mortgage, but when you need to put a new roof on it or you have a big repair, it can really dent finances. And then the third in this article, it's just that opportunity cost of, of real estate development. But there were some great numbers. So here's a few to throw at you. 1,500 country clubs have closed over the last 10 years. Wait lists in the COVID boom, about 25% of clubs had a wait list before COVID. Now about 50% do. And also a huge increase in price. Average dues now are close to $9,000 a year. And total membership cost, including, I would assume, minimums and whatnot, is 13700 up from 10000 in 2019. So we're talking about 14000 bucks in dues before you, you know, start having boozy brunches and having guest fees and all that at a country club. So interesting data point, because with Alex, we talk about, and he, I think he throws out like, hey, it's a real, um, you know, it's a real choice for a family to spend five or ten or fifteen thousand for a country club, thirteen thousand seven hundred right now. Um, in the article, there's also a really interesting uh, conversation with David Pillsbury, who runs Club Corp, which is now invited, and he had some pretty strong quotes. He didn't put any uh, any lipstick on the pig. He said there is demand for modern clubs that have the right amenities, but he said those clubs to survive, they need investment, they need professional management. And the bad news for consumers out there is that consolidation, the club's closing, it just means that the ones left are going to be higher priced. So 
He frankly just said, look, when our costs go up, we pass it along to the members. When we have the right services and the right amenities, those members are willing to pay for it. And lastly, um, only 50% of clubs have a strategic plan on paper. Only 42% of those plans are funded. And about 70% of private clubs are just running at break even. So really good article. I recommend everyone reading it, but that's the summary. That's fascinating to me because, I mean, the, the stat about the annual fully loaded costs there going up, by my math, 30 plus percent in four years. Yeah. That way outpaces inflation, right? I would expect the club's expenses to go up in line with inflation and that would be passed on. But the revenues must be going up much, much higher. So but the club is still break even. So how do you, how do you reconcile that? Well, I think there's a couple of things that until you really have this conversation with a board member at a club or really think about it are interesting. One is members are not leaving clubs. So those wait lists are growing because they're not bringing in new members and getting big chunks of initiation. So a lot of clubs run at a break even, and then they get that CapEx money from the initiation fees, right? If you're Initiation fee is fifty or a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, just think about it. You only need to let in ten members to get a million bucks of cash on hand if you're dinging people a hundred grand initiation. And then second is the utilization part of it. Before COVID, you had a certain percentage of your members that just didn't show up but paid their dues. Well, post COVID, members are using the club, and that means that the, to maintain the certain level of service, the clubs have to staff up more, right? And labor costs are really high. So think about a member that never showed up, was paying dues. Now you have to staff up, provide them that same level of service, but you're not ex getting any more of that recurring cash flow and staffing around food and beverage and all those things are super low margin, if any at all. So really kind of interesting business model um, nuances that would apply only to kind of private clubs, right? Those mimosas don't serve themselves after all. No, they don't. People don't like to wait for their mimosas. They don't. They sure don't. All right. Who are we going to hear from today in our episode? So first we'll have Alex Lidback. Um, Alex played college golf at LSU. Successful business career. Really logical thinker. Uh, just a really common sense guy. And then the other thing that's interesting about Alex is, I mean, high golf IQ definitely is turning on golf on the weekends, especially the majors, but not a uber passionate junkie type golfer, right? Like he was a member at Raveno for a long number of years, but wasn't using the club a ton, moved overseas once or twice. And the last thing he was thinking about was where he was going to join his next club. So I think actually personifies a lot of the middle of the curve of golfers, right? I mean, your tails, you know, they're never going to not have a club or play a couple times a week. And then the once a year golfer is not really a huge focus, but it's that middle. Alex, I think, personifies kind of the middle of the curve there. And then second, Frank Gumpert. Uh, Frank, 40-plus year PGA pro. He was the pro at Sherwood Country Club in kind of the heyday. He's still in the golf business in Baton Rouge at the University Club. So he's seen, you know, since the late 70s, early 80s, that market change evolve, courses open, courses close. So really enjoyed talking to Frank. Yeah, I learned a ton from both Alex and Frank. Fascinating stories. If you liked today's episode, like and subscribe. Tell a friend. We love to spread the word. Yep. Thanks for listening and catch you next time on the Course Record Show. Enjoy the conversations. We're joined by Alex Lidback. Alex is a career consultant in the chemical industry, played college golf at LSU, and uh, was a longtime member and resident of, uh, of Raveno, near Raveno Country Club in Houston, Texas. 
Uh, Alex, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, thanks for having me. So Ravenna opened in 1979 in Champions Forest, which is a really affluent Houston suburb. I mean, growth of the Sun Belt, Houston population has just gone through the roof. Closed in 2021 in the middle of a golf boom. Uh, you know, one thing we've we talked to Frank Gumpert from Baton Rouge, and, and you know, you being an LSU guy and, and knowing Sherwood Forest, the, the country club there, it was very much a demographic shift, right? Baton Rouge grew in a different part of town. Maybe schools weren't as good, real estate values didn't maintain their levels, and that really drove Sherwood's um, demise. That's not the Raveno story. Very affluent area, great neighborhood, incredible high schools and schools all around. Um, you know, what, what What was kind of the trend at, at Raveno? I mean, it was a great family club, being member a long time. I think one of the first issues that it had, it had 36 holes. Okay. And, and so, you know, it's expensive to maintain 36 holes, right? It's, it's difficult. And they really didn't have enough members there to sustain 36 holes. And I can't remember the exact year, but they shut down um, one of the courses, the what they called the new course, um, and and really started to focus on taking care of, of the old course, which is the the original course. And and so when they had when they had uh, two courses, both were not in very good shape. Yeah. And then they had they went to to one course and put all the effort into that into that golf course. Uh, they put in new greens and all that, and it really started to to improve quite a bit. And I want to say it's probably 2005, six, somewhere around that point. Uh, and and it was doing much better. The service had improved. I think the profitability had gone up and all that. And then the financial crisis hit. Um, the other thing that I think Raveno's problem was that it was across the creek from Champions. Okay. Right. And Champions has two phenomenal courses, has hosted recently the Women's US Open, Tour Championships, Ryder Cups. You know, it's rich in tradition and two great courses. And so people that wanted to be golf only, that that's where they went. And I don't think they had a, a single tennis court uh, or anything like that. It was a golf club. Yeah. Uh, and so you tended to have the family members at Raveno and the true golfers at, at, at champions. And, and so that was a, a lot of competition there that, that existed. Um, and then from a financial point of view, um, the, the club owner sold, I think the total property is around 230, 240 acres or something like that. And, and the owner of the club wanted to develop that property, you know, take the new course or parts of it. And, and then it just it was kind of an, it's in a floodplain. Okay. And, and what happened was the, the golf course owner, the golf club owner um, sold the property to, I don't know if you're familiar, but in Texas, they have what they call public utility districts. Okay. Which, and that was, a, and so the, they, they bought it. And they turned it in the old, the new course into a nice park. They did a phenomenal job with it. Oh wow! And the the old course, um, so they bought all but twenty seven or thirty acres of the two hundred and forty acres, with the idea that the highest area, the owner of the club would develop homes. As you, as you mentioned, it's an affluent area. 
you know, it's established. There are very few empty lots. A lot of people want to live in that area um, and all that. And so they, they he, I think he leased it for like a dollar a year from the public utility district. Um, the land the, to have the, the old course. The golf course. Okay. And then the idea was to develop those 27, 30, 30 acres. And did it happen? Is it happening? Well, then there was Harvey. Oh. And so Harvey had, and as you know, with, with all the, the part of it was in the floodplain district. And I lived there since the early 90s. And you can see the transformation happen over time was as Houston was exploding for the last, you know, when I moved there in the early 90s, it was four and a half million people and it's touching eight million. And, and so a lot of the new subdivisions and all this before they were forced to build retaining ponds, they, they, um, the, the flow of the water would go into Cypress Creek. And I, I could see over time that Ravenna was flooding more often. Got it. And, and then, and then when, when, uh, when Harvey hit, which I think was August of 2017, the clubhouse had what, six or eight feet of water in it. Oh man. Yeah. And the golf course was flooded, uh, completely more importantly though, those 27 acres were six, eight feet underwater. So yeah. there was no way you could develop that, that, that property. So they sold the club to, yeah. or sold the 27 acres. The most interesting thing of all was the last year of operation, it turned into a pseudo private public course. Okay. And, and apparently the last year with golf booming, yeah. it was making money. Oh man. And, and so, you know, I don't know the finances, but you wonder is if shouldn't they have shifted that to a, either, you know, a daily fee course or something along those lines much earlier and it may still be there the other thing that we've gotten a lot of and you're starting to see some green shoots and we'll talk about it is what you just described let's say there's like six holes built around the retaining ponds like you've already got the golfers club at champions right what you don't have is a gap between top golf and champions we had a real estate golf course real estate expert on our last episode and he was that was his prediction for for a, a trend to watch out for was look out for these like non-traditional facilities that are just like, hey, we can put six holes in a driving range here, or we can put four kids holes here. And it's an amenity for the neighborhood, right? As opposed to just putting a bunch of water treatment there. I mean, the, the problem is, you know, golf isn't cheap, right? And yeah. I, I mean, uh, I don't know exactly. I can't remember exactly what Raveno was, you know, before the golf course, but, you know, I mean, it's minimum 500 a month, right? Right. That's before you go have like one cheeseburger. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then you got your food minimums and, and all that. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to justify. Yeah. And we're in a, we're in an interesting spot right now where, um, you know, we kind of haven't had that shock to the system that n nobody wants that, but there hasn't been that line of kind of lull in the economy for quite a while. I mean, COVID was a kind of outlier event. But that, you know, 10, five, 10, $15,000 a year disposable spend at the club, they're, um, they're sitting pretty right now. And there's kind of a, a growth, it's on a growth trajectory, but who, who knows if that's sustainable, right? Yeah. I mean, if you look at them, you know, where mortgage rates are and the cost of real estate, if you have a family, 
Yep. Are you going to do 500, a thousand a month to go towards your, your mortgage or, or are you going to go and pay 75 bucks and play somewhere every once in a while? Right. Depending on the developer and things like that. But some of these daily fee clubs, I remember, you know, 15 years ago, you know, $35, you get a golf cart, yeah. uh, a bucket of balls and a burger and 18 holes, you know, and then you're, you're sitting there charging yeah. four or 500 you know, how do you compete against that, right? Plus the the initiation fee for some of these places, right? Um, so it, it it's not it's it's hard to commit that much money for a lot of people to play golf. Yeah. It would be great if they would develop a golf course at Raveno and you know make it work. I'm I, I'm not confident. Yeah, I think what, there's what so much. Take, what would it take for you to be confident? Like, what what would what could be different from the story? With the benefit of hindsight, what would have to change for it to stick? I think, you know, I think Roberto, you touched on it. It's probably that that in between of top golf and champions, right? It's it, it's a place for, for for people to go play nine holes, play, you know, go to the pool, play tennis, pickleball, that that kind of thing where it becomes a more of a place for for people to hang out, right? To kids ride their bikes there and and play. Yeah, it's a fine line. It's a, getting that experience right, really knowing what you're supposed to be is is hard for clubs, right? It's something we haven't really touched on it yet, Dan, but like the more I learn, the more governance and board of directors and like all that stuff really matters, whether it's your kid's school or the school district or your club, setting the direction and really knowing who you are is really difficult. And some clubs are great at it, and if you get stuck in the middle and you don't have that clear direction, you can be a nice country club like Raveno in an affluent suburb and just never really get a strong enough position in the market to survive, which is crazy. But you know, it really matters. It, it means a lot more than I realized a few years ago. Another thing that your first kind of opening line, I think, made me think about our last episode with Lincoln. So Lincoln is a, a you know kind of an expert in the real estate golf course real estate market. Um, worked for kind of an equity fund before that bought, buys up golf courses, kind of in the Raveno vein, right? But he opened with the golf experience. He was, I was like, wait, what, why do these golf courses die? And he was like, you know what? They don't have a great golf experience. And when you open with like, hey, Raveno, when they had 36 holes, neither course was in great shape. Maybe neither course was busy because people like it. They don't like it to be too busy, but they want a vibe, right? You want your your buddies. At the, <laughs> and And that is it really kind of all goes back to that a little bit, right? Is you can kind of brush up the, the you know, the, whether it's a sports bar or a, a mixed grill or whether it's a little bit fancier dining. I don't think any great golf experiences have closed. Um, they had two good golf courses at Raveno, but if they didn't really focus on that golf experience, I mean, you kind of went there first and it kind of made my ears, ears prick a little bit. It's kind of interesting. Well, it's kind of like, you know, watching a, a game in a 75, 80,000 people Astrodome in Houston yeah. Or going to Minute Maid where it's 45,000 and just purposely built for that experience. You know, it's, it's true. It's, it's about the experience and uh, you want to pull up and you want to be known by the people right. getting your clubs and, you know, and, and uh, yeah, that's the, yeah. It's hard to execute though. It's hard to execute. Yeah. So, I mean, what are we seeing golf club builders? Is it, is it daily fees or is it country clubs? Dan? country clubs i think the daily fee stuff is getting hard because one you have to build too far away from the cities 
nowadays. So getting people to drive out is tough. There's the exceptions of the really remote places, right? But those are more resort than daily fee. I would classify them as. But um, but yeah, the you know we we assumed we started this thing because we wanted to realize you know COVID boom is it going to stick? And with the supply challenges, like I'm not that I'm not that bullish. I just don't think there's enough places now. And all these new golfers that were created in the in the in COVID, they actually came from the top golfs and the alternative facilities, not not more country club memberships per se, because those are pretty yeah. sold out. So it's it's a very interesting delicate balance, right? We went from the oversupply to the over demand pretty quickly here, and it's um, it's a commodity though, right? I mean, it, it, it is. It's a commodity, right? At the end of the day, it's. The, the country club business model works because you can manage your cash flow a lot better mm-hmm. than you're sitting on a daily fee where, you know, if you get yep. flooded and you shut down for three months or you get rain for, for two months straight where nobody's playing, right? And your number of rounds swings significantly. Well, so does your cash flow. One thing I like to say is that the golf course business is a horrible business. How many American companies have the year founded the same as all these golf course logos you see 1887 1912 1924 1916 right they're all over you see all the logos in the airport there's something about that business model that does work because yeah. other than coca-cola and ge they're all gone right and that it's that recurring model that recurring revenue model that is pretty alluring so you know dan's right it's we haven't gotten that much closer to answering our questions because Lincoln said that in the Chattanooga area, there's plenty of golf courses. And his kind of first reaction was there are plenty of golf courses. He lives in definitely a smaller market in Atlanta. It's a challenge. The new golfers, the private clubs that are within 30 minutes of town are sold out and exorbitantly expensive now. And the daily fee and kind of public type stuff is farther afield. So harder to get to. And there's no real new construction. The new construction, the boom is in destination golf. It's whether that's resort or whether that's private. And Dan's thesis has always been that's taking somebody who already plays 50 rounds a year. And now they're going to play 65 rounds a year. That's not taking the person that goes to top golf and getting him to play a couple times a month, right? That's where the gap is. And I, I don't think we've seen anything that solves that yet. I would think that's the case in Houston. Now, let's say you're a young professional now and you're living right around champions forest. You just lost an option that was reasonably affordable, a place you could get in, you could play. Now it's like you're going to go play champions where half the members are single digits handicaps. It's very intimidating, very expensive. You have to be good at golf to really enjoy champions. There's still a gap there. Well, does golf become the next ski, this next skiing, right? Where you, you live in Houston and you go skiing for a week. Yeah. Or, you, you know, and so, okay. Now I'm going to go, like you said, destination golf. I'm, my vacation is going to be a week of golf. And, and that's where I'm going to spend. Okay. So it costs me five grand rather than 20 to 50 to join in a thousand a month. Right. I've got a quick closing question actually for Alex. Yes. Alex, if you are on the line with the GM of a club or the president of a club and you wanted to teach him or her one key takeaway from your experience at Rabineau, what would it be? I think you need to right size your operations to to your memberships, and and I think service. You know, I think that was one of the things. There was there's not. We all love to walk in somewhere and say hi. You know, Mr. Lidbeck, Mr. Castro, it's great to see you. You know, and get that 
that that treatment, especially for as much as you're uh, you're, you're spending. Uh, but to me, the biggest thing is about right sizing the operation to to the membership. You you have to keep that cash flow going. And to answer your question, Alex, uh, Lincoln Duff, we asked him what's driving these course closures, and he said pre-COVID, bad management, bad cash flow. Post-COVID, real estate prices, the opportunity cost for development. So that's, from a high level, you're thinking, you're thinking, and that's kind of the Raveno story. It's a little different with the flooding aspect, but yeah. it was kind of a cash flow issue before COVID. And then the day it closed, it was turning a profit, right? So well, if it was turning a profit, maybe they had the wrong model all along. Yeah. 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 I'm sure there would have been mutiny from the homeowners across the street, though, because I can tell you a lot of my neighbors did not like that it was a, a daily fee golf. Yeah. 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 Dan doesn't do public yeah. golf either. So uh, he can relate, you know, private, it's, it's private club guy. I do, I do no golf at the moment, but um... <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. All right. We're joined by Frank Gumpert from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Frank is a uh, longtime PGA professional, currently serves as director of membership at the University Club at LSU. Uh, Frank, thanks for joining us and, and walking us through um, some of the, the golf course and real estate stories uh, in your long, long career. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. One thing that we've been kicking around, Frank, is um, just kind of the arc of golf courses. You know, golf is booming through COVID, but there's still um, over 100 golf courses that closed in 2021. And uh, you know, I reconnected with you because I, I lived in Baton Rouge until I was 12 or 13 and the little country club I grew up playing with my grandparents, uh, the golf course is now closed. So tell us about, you know, your tenure at Sherwood Forest Country Club, that's the name of the club, and then kind of what, what the demographic shifts were, or, you know, how did it come to be that a, a thriving country club ended up closing their golf course eventually? Sherwood opened uh, 1956. And I was there. I started in 1978. At the time, in the 80s, early 80s, uh, early 90s, Sherwood was the second best club in town. Baton Rouge Country Club was the premier club um, to join. Uh, but we felt good. We, we filled a great niche. Uh, at the time, uh, during our really good years, we had six, 700 members. Wow. All our golf events were full. Uh, did a lot of Monday events for charity, yep. uh, and uh, and about that time, I don't know if you heard this or know of it, the National Golf Association came out with an article that said the United States needed to build one new golf course every day, and it, the, people took it to heart because right after that, I'm gonna read uh, just my little list: Country Club of Louisiana was built, the Bluffs. Santa Maria, Beaver Creek, Shenandoah, Fairwood was already around, Pelican Point, and Carter Plantation. Wow. So that, that's just a lot of golf to fill, a lot of tee times to fill. And so, you know, for about eight, ten years there, everybody just was went into kind of a decline, so to speak. And uh, I attribute that to, you know, being over-golfed. Okay. You know, since, since then... Uh, the Bluffs is closed. Uh, Shenandoah is totally closed. Fairwood's closed. Uh, and Pelican Point and Carter Plantation are still going. And, and they do okay. But, uh, 
you know, just uh, just not enough golfers to fill the, the tee time roles. Around that time, there's there's a big belief that a lot of the courses that were that drove some of the overbuilding of golf were those courses where they're part of a real estate deal, right? Like a developer comes in, wants to put in a hundred lots or whatever, and sells them as part of being part of a championship golf course. The ones that you listed off, I'm not familiar with, but do they do they fit that bill or not really? You know, some did, some did, uh, and uh, you know, Country Club Louisiana is doing fine. Uh, they're not full, but uh, they don't have too many lots available. Uh, but uh, take Shenandoah, they totally closed it down, and and uh, on, on the 18 fairways, they put a street and built sell houses. So the golf course, you get, you can't even tell where the golf course was. Fairwood became a deve- total development, uh, no golf course. Um, so anyway, in Pelican Point, um, uh, struggle for a while. They end up building 27 holes, which I think was a, a pretty big mistake. And then they end up closing nine and going back to the original 18, I believe, and uh, doing fairly well. But it's a real estate development. Among that list, if you had to lit, pick one or two attributes that separated the survivors from the golf courses that closed, like what are the, the key factors? Is it like school district? Is it being on the quote unquote right side of town? Was it business model? Like what drove the survival? You know, what, what kind of separated the wheat from the chaff? Well, uh, in, in, with respect to Sherwood Forest, definitely being on the wrong side of town. Is that right? Uh, Everything started building out toward New Orleans, CCL and places like all the new real estate developments are, are on the other side of the interstate. And the Sherwood Forest area, which used to be really nice area, even to drive through, right? Uh, became a renter's area. Uh, just uh, they just didn't upkeep the streets. Uh, school districts were kind of bad, uh, and everybody moved out toward CCL area. When did the university club come online? University uh, came online 19, well, it started uh, 1997, uh, 98 opened. And then uh, uh, in 2010, uh, they raised enough money to close the golf course and totally build a championship golf course. Uh, it's, it's the best practice facility, in my opinion, in the state of Louisiana. It's really uh, quite a place. Yeah. Matter of fact, so much so, about nine months ago, I actually closed the membership. Wow. And we have a waiting list, and we've had up to 30 or 40 people on the waiting list with applications and money in. Uh, and now I can't take a new member unless I lose a member. And Frank, these new applicants that you're getting, like what's the – are they coming from other clubs? Are they newer golfers? Kind of help us understand what's the, like, what's the profile of this, let's call a newer golfer that you're seeing now apply versus your more established member? Well, uh, I've been asked that question quite a bit. And I, it's really a variety of reasons. We on our last phase of development in the U club for houses. So most of our new members are not coming from that, uh, maybe 20%. Um, are coming from that. We're, some are coming from other clubs because uh, uh, I found out that uh, people uh, today in today's times are not willing to put up a lot of money uh, unless they're using the place, playing golf, coming out uh, on weekends, using swimming pool, tennis, but we have eight tennis courts. Uh, 
uh, it's more of a family social unit. Whereas if you look back and go back cool years and years ago, people used to join a club because they wanted to have a place to maybe go, but wouldn't use it as much. Now people, they don't join a club. They're not going to use it. Yeah. We talked to, uh, Frank, uh, couple folks on previous episodes that are in that kind of golf course portfolio ownership and they're always looking for strong family demographics and they come into a club and they invest in the the family amenities right they're not adding tee boxes and and redoing greens as their first 12 month plan they're adding fitness or upgrading the pool so it kind of supports what you said there back to Sherwood what what did the final 18 24 months look like who owned the golf who owned the club who owned the golf course like how did the how did it all shake out at the end yeah um the one of the tennis professionals actually his fam, uh family came in and and bought the club okay and tried to keep the golf course open but then he turned the uh, grill into a, a workout facility that gets used quite a bit uh, they have really taken off with these pickleball courts. Uh, they're up to, I think, 12 now. Wow. Um, so it's open still. Yeah, just just the driving range and the clubhouse and the swimming pool and the and the courts. Wow. That's it. The uh, golf course itself has just grown up. You, you know, you wouldn't want to walk out there. Wow. But, it, you know, it's doing pretty good. Uh, I talked to the, the one of the guys that owns it just yesterday just to get some background. And, you know, they've had their ups and downs since they purchased it. Uh, but they, they're starting to, you know, see some success in what they're doing. Frank, we have you here. This is a bit off topic to our kind of real estate conversation. But, you know, one thing I've been interested in, um, you know, a lot of talk the last couple of years about the PGA profession, right? The, the profession of being a, a club pro. Um, yeah, recruitment's been tough. It's a very, uh, long hours, high commitment job. Um, and sometimes, you know, especially before you get to the top, it's low pay. What are the trends you're seeing, you know, in the professional, uh, market and, and what's been your experience with kind of this new generation? Are you bullish? Like, would you tell a, a graduating college senior to get into the golf business having, having all the experience you have? Well, that's, that's a tough one there. And, uh, and, you know, when you first get in the business, uh, you, you got to want to love it. I mean, you, you know, all your friends are off weekends having fun. You, you know, you showing up to golf course, six o'clock, uh, 10 people off. Right. And, uh, and I'm finding it's harder and harder to recruit the young guys coming out of college because of that. And obviously the pay is not as great as they would uh, make doing something else. Mm-hmm. So if you don't love the golf business, it's not going to be a long-term thing. What do you see on your end? Yeah, I see a lot of turnover where I play. You know, like you said, it's it's kind of the longevity that's a challenge. Um, you see young people get into the business because they love golf, and then it's kind of their life progresses, and maybe they get married or they kind of have some goals. Um, you know, more buy a house or be more stable financially they get siphoned off into other industries, uh, which creates a, a decent amount of turnover. Right. So yes. that's, that's kind of what I see. Yeah. Still a great business to be in, you know, yeah. one more question for you, Frank, we're starting to hear more about starting the rebuild of many new golf courses, right? We've kind of went from a time where there was nothing being built to now a bit more momentum in the, in the new course business. 
How does that play out for you in a, in a town like in a market like Baton Rouge? Are you hearing much more of that? Do you think you can accommodate it? Uh, you know, it takes money to do things. And, uh, and unless you're going to do it right, uh, I tell you what, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, Metairie Country Club in New Orleans uh, just went through a rebuild and just did a terrific job. Uh, went back to the uh, old style golf course that was there uh, in 19... 19- when, when they opened up 1921, I believe. And uh, it is, they have a full membership now. They, they were down in members, you know, before the renovation and uh, they're, they're doing pretty well, but uh, they, you still got to make it fun to play, keep it in good shape, you know, and keep play moving. Uh, s- slow golf is, is a killer in golf. And uh People don't have a lot of spare time, so they're going to they're gonna take their time and use it, you know, to their advantage. And I think we got to make it still fun to play. That's why the junior program is so good, PGA Junior Golf League. You know, uh, I think golf's in a pretty good position right now. We're starting to see some trends and recurring themes. So we had a, a kind of real estate expert on um, our last conversation, and he kind of said it's about the golf experience, right? The places that – haven't survived, don't provide a good experience for the golfer. And that's kind of what you just said there, right? Like Metairie's, what they've redone at, you know, what they've, their product out of their renovation is a better golf experience. And that's, keep it simple, stupid is it works in most industries, but we're starting to see that a lot in golf. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Frank, thanks a million. Uh, This has been really interesting conversation i'm glad we reconnected good luck in the future thanks and we'll send you the episode when it launches i'll text it to you and email it to you and you can tell all your friends that um you know you're an expert witness on a golf business podcast right thank you appreciate the opportunity